Hey, everybody. Really intriguing guest today, P.K. Gupta, pioneer in so many fields in emerging tech. Uh, P.K., how are you? I'm great, Owen. Thanks for having me. Well, great to have you here. Um, I'm fascinated by your personal professional journey. You've gone from, you know, developing a number of industry-first technologies, uh, back in the day, VoIP gateways and WiMAX uh, base stations and more. And um, for those tech insiders, they'll know what I'm talking about. But uh, maybe introduce yourself a little about, about your current mission and um, and uh, related topics here for our audience today. Yeah, yeah. So I've uh, been fortunate to have a great journey in technology. Uh, I worked at various leading companies like Hughes and Intel, and then did my startup, most recently, Mech Computing, focused on video analytics. And now I'm getting into uh, investing and advising startups. So it's been a very long journey, very successful, very exciting, and love to talk to you about different aspects of that. Yeah. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot to unpack, including going back earlier in both of our careers, 30 plus years ago, we intersected at a little known fast, hot startup called Dialogic. And yes, in the yeah. 80s, early 90s, there were hot tech startups around. It didn't all happen the last uh, two years. Uh, you know, so maybe talk about your background going back to early in your career. And you have a very interesting educational background. Would love to understand how that has you know helped shape your 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 career as well? Yeah, so education background. I did a PhD in electrical engineering, and then a few years later, maybe ten years later, I, I did my MBA also from Warden. So I have a background in. Uh, I've always been interested in business and technology. So the educational foundation helped me navigate through the different aspects of my career. So I started at Hughes, just to kind of give you a quick rundown. At Hughes, which was a very interesting place, and this was Hughes Network, right? Separate from mm. Hughes Aircraft, which was in defense uh, in California. Hughes Network was uh, outside Washington, D.C., and focused on communication technologies. And, and Hughes had a, had a you know, culture of building new technologies in partnership with industries and bringing them to market. Uh, some of them worked and some of them failed, so they took that risk. So one of the technologies that uh, we worked on that was very exciting was uh, at Hughes was air-to-ground telephone. Do you remember that back of the season? I remember it well, yeah. You used to swipe your credit card and, and fast forward, we're going to have it again with Starlink. So all those yeah, Starlink decades later. Different. Exactly. So Starlink is obviously talking to the satellites and then beaming down. The Hughes air to ground was, you know, talking down to the ground base stations, right? And trying mm. to hop as the plane was flying, hop between ground base stations. So that technology was developed in the mid-90s and a couple of airlines uh, deployed it, Alaska, American Airlines. But, you know, talk about technology, some technology succeeds, some don't based on timing. Uh, so the air to ground telephone was a great project, worked well, but it was killed as the cellular phones were introduced in the late 90s, right? The first brick phones, right? So instead of trying to make a call on the flight for $5 a minute, it was $5 a minute. <laughs> people would wait till the flight landed and then they would make the call, right? <laughs> so that killed that technology. The company invested a lot. 
It also, Hughes also did something pioneering in uh, cellular base stations. If you go back to two, now we have 5G. It was in the 90s, it was 2G. And they pioneered a technology called TDMA, time division multiplex, and they lost out to Qualcomm's CDMA. So that was another technology where Hughes made a bet, big bet, and lost out on the cellular side. Uh, but some of the other technologies they worked on actually succeeded, including uh, uh, VSAT terminals. And uh, today you might be familiar with uh, DirecTV and mm -hmm. Direct. And so those kind of technologies worked out for Hughes. So after Hughes, I went to the startup you were referring to, uh, Dialogic. Uh, and, and, and our paths kind of crossed there, I think, for at least a year, right? You were there also. You were leaving. Yeah, I was a sales engineer. You were in engineering, so they didn't let us talk to each other that much. But no, I used to enjoy the uh, you know startup culture goes well back. It's it's not a new tradition. So the uh, right the, the beer in the parking lot and uh, a really great uh, culture um, fond, fond memories. And they were acquired by Intel, and you had a, quite a long run as a, an executive at Intel. So right. What did you look after there? Yeah, so Dialogic, uh, I was there, as you right, when you were there. And one thing I just want to mention before I forget, one of the key technologies we developed at Dialogic was a voice over IP gateway. And Dialogic was in the computer telephony business, which was uh, basically making uh, using your computer to uh, use uh, to make phone calls and voicemail and all that. So the first voice over IP gateway was basically a PC, you know, with a voice card in it and some software. And it was used to uh, bypass the uh, tariff network, right? So it was hugely successful. Obviously, everything today is voice over IP based. But that's what got Intel interested. Because Intel at that time, in say late two early 2000, was looking to uh, invest in communication. So they acquired Dialogic uh, in 2000. And uh, at Intel, we started working on different things. One of the first things we worked at Intel in the communication space was uh, building a WiMAX base station, right? So WiMAX was another one of those big bets, right, made by many companies in the early 2000 timeframe. And you, the best way to describe WiMAX is Wi-Fi on steroid. Mm -hmm. So you could go very long distance, uh, used for connectivity, backhaul, but also for mobility. Different than Wi-Fi, it was also supporting mobility. And... People tried it, you know, there was a huge consortium. Intel invested very heavily in WiMAX. But in the end, it lost out to regular LTE and cellular technologies, right? Because they were superior, right? So it just didn't work out. And I believe today it might be deployed very selectively, but but not much, right? So, why, so WiMAX was a great technology we worked on. The next thing we actually did at Intel that worked out well, is um, we worked at we worked at uh, you know using FPGAs, field programmable gate arrays, mm. right? Which I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with. Using FPGAs as a computing accelerator. So that was a very interesting concept because Intel at that time, obviously, was making Xeons and uh, the Xeon IA architecture and promoting that. And they were looking at other accelerator technologies. So we set up a small team within Intel, like a Skunk Works. And we started looking at, this is back 2008, nine timeframe, right? It's almost 15 years ago. Started looking at it using FPGAs as an accelerator, which was a very innovative concept at that time, right? 
um, because it's almost like a foreign silicon, uh, an mm. FPGA. You want to put close to a Xeon silicon and make them talk to each other. So we worked on that. We showed how to put it together, how some of the compute could be offloaded to an FPGA and accelerated. And the long story short is it got good traction. Uh, it got good uh, support from other veterans in the industry, like Google, Microsoft. All of them were interested in the technology. So Intel pursued it, and it led. So this effort led to uh, Intel's acquisition of Altera uh, back in 2015-16, uh, mm. right? So a project that started as a very small project de-risking it, proving it out, and then leading to Intel's acquisition of Altera, uh, in, which remains, by the way, today, Intel's largest acquisition. Oh, wow. Um, other, other companies acquired, AI companies and all that, were, were in the less, less than the 16 billion, right? It's still, and that time, it was considered to be a huge amount of uh, money to pay for an FPGA company. Of course, still AMD bought Xilinx, you know, maybe 10 years later for 30 mm. billion, for double the price, right? So both the FPGA companies were acquired by the computing companies, which is kind of an interesting development. But Intel, at Intel, we stayed back. We, um, I, I led the effort to integrate the FPGA core. So we took an FPGA core and we took a Xeon core and we put it in the same package. So imagine now on a regular motherboard, you go to your Xeon CPU in one socket and the other socket, you have an FPGA. They are talking to each other over the uh, bus, the coherent bus between them. And it opened up a whole slew of new use cases, right? Because the prevailing way to do this was using a PCIe card, right? The typical way to attach something to a CPU, you, you put it on a PCIe card and over the PCI bus, you uh, you do your data in and outs, right? And you offload. With the FPG attached to the CPU, you could get access to the Xeon's memory coherently. And so it opened up a whole bunch of new use cases, uh, which led to some very aggressive forecast about the deployment of FPGAs in the data center, right? Mm. Um, and you might have heard about Microsoft deploying FPGAs in their data mm -hmm. center. So they use FPGAs now. Every server in Microsoft Azure actually has an FPGA card in it, right, for networking. So it's a smart NIC. So they deployed as a smart NIC. Uh, AWS has FPGA instances, so does uh, other cloud service providers. Uh, and so FPGA acceleration itself was supposed to take off. It did not you know, reach its initial forecast, but it, it is being used in a wide variety of use cases. And we saw the opportunity to deploy FPGA accelerators for in enterprises, right? For uh, accelerating enterprise workloads like big data analytics, which at that time mm. was, uh, was taking off. So that was the motivation for us to uh, start MEC computing, right? So the next part of my journey was leaving Intel in 2017 and uh, starting MEC computing. So at MEG, so we started MEC computing with a few folks from Intel uh, who were part of my team. Uh, we, we started in Portland, Oregon, because that's where we were uh, located with Intel. Uh, we 
in 2017, we started and we I just personally exited just last year in December. But over this five, six year, we've had a great run. We uh, introduced some very new technology on uh, edge computing, which which I'd love to talk about more about edge computing and, and doing real-time video analytics. Uh, so that was a very successful run that led to Mech Computing. And now I'm looking at uh, uh, investing and advising other startups, right? Ho- uh, hoping to help them uh, leverage the learnings from my lessons over the years. Wow, that's, that's a great uh, synopsis and lessons indeed. You've seen so much in the technology space, the, the successes, the failures, the challenges, the creative disruption that hits across technology. Has that made you more of an optimist or a pessimist when it comes to new ventures, you know, new uh, startups, uh, new invest- investments, given uh, the challenges, you know, you've seen? It's, it's not for the faint of heart. Right. No, I'm always an optimist in terms okay, of that's, that's good. introducing new technologies, but also being pragmatic that you cannot just develop technology for technology's sake, right? There, mm. there are other factors, right, that go in in making the technology adoption successful, right? So the first thing is timing, obviously. Timing is critical, right? So when new technologies develop, you know, and if the timing is off, then no matter how good it is or how well-funded it is, uh, and there have been various cases documented where a technology was trying to, people try to bring a technology to market a bit before time, and then it just didn't pan out, right? So there are a lot of examples of that. So timing is critical, right? So is uh, execution, right? You might have a great idea, but if you don't execute well, and if it, if there's other technology, the implementation and the execution of the technology, right? So that will that can also lead to failure. But besides these two things, the other things obviously is this, you have to be solving a problem, right? You cannot be just be developing technology because it's sexy or, 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 or interesting in a certain way. So as long as there's a problem you're solving, and which will then lead to adoption of the technology, which is the ultimate final step, right? The technology has to be adopted by the market, has to get deployed, it has to generate revenue to be successful, right? So there's all these phases you go through, right? And and in my personal journey, and I'm sure other people, we can cite different examples, right? There are always cases where one or the other of these levers is missing, and that leads to a technology not getting to market, other cases where everything just clicked perfectly, right? Where then things uh, led to wide adoption and success of the technology. Yeah, that's an amazing insight. And, um, you know, you talk to entrepreneurs and founders and uh, uh, private equity, all kinds of uh, collaborators. What what are some of the common, common challenges you see with those organizations, individuals, you know, what's your high-level advice uh, like to them? Uh, uh, yeah, maybe shed some light on your advisory work. Yeah, absolutely, right? So I think, first of all, let me just say, this is a great time, right, All you know, to be an entrepreneur, right? There are, there are a lot of challenges, but it's a great time. Technology advancing, though the VC market was a bit frozen last couple of years, funding was a bit mm-hmm. difficult, but there's always ways to overcome that, and things are loosening up a little bit right now. So I see things going forward as uh, very positive. So when I talk to uh, new CEOs or teams, right, that are starting a new venture, a small, say, uh, startup, right, 
you know, I think there's four things, right, that uh, I'm looking for personally and I, and I advise them accordingly. So one is there has to be a problem that you're solving, right? So you start with that, right? What problem are you solving? And if the startup founders have personal uh, experience in the problem, so their familiarity with the problem, the better the chances of success, right? So it cannot be, uh, and there are cases where, you know, a, a few uh, very smart people will get together and say, let's go and build something. And they'll try to build something because they are familiar with the technology. They start mm-hmm. on the wrong, wrong side, right? And those typically don't end well. So starting with the problem, understanding the problem is key. The next thing is the problem you're solving, the market has to be attractive, right? Because eventually you want to get funding or, or go to market and scale, right? So the market has to be attractive. The problem, the, the share of market or whatever metric you use, right? The product uh, revenue potential, you know, has to be large and attractive enough to attract investors. So that's the second thing. The third thing in the product that you are defining, right, based on this, has to have certain differentiation, right? It cannot be a me too, right? It cannot just be, okay, I'm building this new product and, you know, it's got these neat features which are 10% better or even 20% better than an existing product, right? That will not kick it. You've got to focus on maybe one feature that's 10x better, right? And, and that will differentiate the product from the computer. There has to be something like that that's highly differentiated, right? So, th- so the product definition has to be def- well-defined and executed, right? And then finally, but not the least one, is the team. Right? So the team that's coming together, you know, there should be in a team, like if, if they're two co-founders, right, there should be complementary skill sets, not, not just the same, you know, identical mm. skill sets. So people who bring a different perspective, a team that can execute well, the questions that investors will ask is, why you, why this team, what is different about you, how are you going to execute? So some evidence of that, it helps, but it doesn't have to be always successful entrepreneurs on their second venture. It can be you know, your first venture, but, but you have to demonstrate that the team can work well together. So... Those are the four things, right, that uh, I advise, I look for. I think other investors also look for. And and those are the metrics that I think would make startups more successful. A wonderful advice. So across the tech landscape, you know, what are the technologies, the uh, the niches that you are most excited about and why? You know, IoT, AI, obviously, cloud, edge. Where are you exploring exactly these days? So, you know, if you look at the hype cycle that Gartner publishes, right, some of the technologies are like in the hype cycle somewhere. Uh, and if you look at some of the uh, technologies that are getting deployed today, so I would say edge computing, uh, edge analytics, AI at the edge is at a stage right now where it's getting widely deployed, right? Everything has come together. Uh, the hardware, the edge platform, the software hardware architecture required for edge analytics, for edge computing is well established now. And you are seeing, and, and it's, it's supported by the market trends, right? Like 50% of the data is going to be generated at the edge, right? This year, next year, right? Over a billion cameras are, are deployed. There are billion, tens of billions of sensors deployed. So a lot of data being generated at the edge and the data needs to be processed at the edge. So edge computing in general, edge analytics, these are the kind of things 
we were doing at Mech Computing, right? My startup, right? Which is very, very attractive. So, so that will continue, right? And so companies coming in with some new technologies there are, are getting very successful. The trend now that everybody talks about is Gen AI right now, right? So obviously AI, so AI we used at Edge Computing was more, you could call it the traditional AI where we used it to detect objects, classify objects, right? Those kind yeah. of things. And it was all based on deep learning models, right? That we developed. And we did some innovative things like being able to train the models continuously for better performance. So all those were kind of differentiation at the edge. But with Gen AI now getting widely deployed, it's, it's hugely exciting, right? If you just look at it from a startup perspective, what Gen AI is enabling, besides everything else that you hear about it, right, is actually the cost of bringing a new product to market, you know, it's coming down substantially, right? The change is similar to if you go way back when AWS introduced the infrastructure, right? Before that, if you recall, you know, a startup had to buy the Sun servers and set up their own infrastructure and everything, right? Mm. And then AWS came along, came along with uh, the shared infrastructure and that cut down the co- infrastructure cost a lot and drove a whole new wave of startups who could leverage that and the cost of a startup maybe decreased to a few million dollars. With a few million dollars, a startup, a small team could go and build something and bring it to market. Now that has decreased by 10x again with Gen AI, right? So now the scenario is that just one person or even a couple of team, right? Small team with maybe some key skill sets which they can offshore can take a new concept, build a new product, you know, and bring it to market very quickly with Gen AI, right? With these uh, vertical language models and other technologies at a fraction of the cost of previous startups. So what you'll see is the cost of startups is going to change, is going to come down. The the financing required for startups to go to market is going to come down substantially, right? And that's going to drive a whole new wave of uh, innovation, right? As as Gen AI technology and the other associated technologies get more widely deployed, right? So that's what's really exciting, right? And that we see happening uh, this year and next year, right? As Gen AI then starts getting widely deployed and solving real problems. I love that. And it's such a fascinating global landscape as well. Tons yes. of innovation coming from everywhere around the world. Right. Uh, you must have your eye on opportunities around the world. What what excites you the most, whether it's Europe, what's happening in Europe or India, Asia, what's uh, new teams, you know, innovating, kind of popping out of the woodwork now? Uh, yeah. It's a uh, it's a huge huge opportunity everywhere. You you heard all the cases of you know startup with AI, you know getting hundred million funding in in a, you know very quickly in a short term and then billion dollar unicorn evaluation. So those are the well publicized cases, right? That we hear a lot about. But behind that, there's a whole you know slew of startups, right? That are just starting slowly getting small amount of angel funding, small amount of investing, and one of, and many of these are going to break through, right? So the, mm. so the challenge is, and, and these are, as you said, is happening globally, right? You don't have to be in Silicon Valley now only to mm. be successful. You could potentially be anywhere in any place, right, and have access to this technology. And as long as you have the right idea and the right team, right, you can, you can go and make something happen. 
So that's what's really exciting, right? And, and, and our opportunity for us as investors, advisors, is trying to find that diamond in the rough, right? Trying to find that opportunity, the team, that idea that they're working on very early, right? So our goal is to identify, as an investor advisor, we are trying to identify opportunities at a very, very early stage, early seed stage. So we can we can make a bet on those, those that team, that small team, give them the amount of funding they need, which is actually right now manageable. It's a small amount of funding, and then enable them to bring it to market and be successful. So yeah, I think it's across different verticals, right? But generally, you know, if you ask me, it's deep tech, right? So deep tech enabled solutions for different uh, verticals. Relying on a deep tech stack, obviously AI part of it, but also distributed computing, edge computing, you know, deployed hybrid between edge and cloud. So all these common technology stack is coming together. The, the challenge is going to be, okay, given this technology stack, which everybody, by the way, has access to, right? So it is kind of a, you know, leveling the playing field right now, mm. this technology stack. And so the, the challenge is going to be, okay, since everybody has access to this, ideas are now the ones, right, that you want to bet on. So who has the right idea to solve a problem that they know about and how they're going to solve it, right? So those are the things you're looking for, which makes it actually quite uh, quite interesting. Quite interesting, to say the least. Uh, really great insights and uh, appreciate your vision so much. What, what are you excited to travel-wise, personally, professionally, any events or trips coming up, up worth calling out? Yeah, so I'll be, uh, I've been invited to do a keynote at a FPGA conference in Monterey in March. Mm. So this is very exciting. This is my FPGA journey that I talked about starting mm. in Intel in 2008. So I'll be, the title of my talk is uh, my 15 years journey in FPGA platforms or something like that I'm going to be talking about. Mm -hmm. So basically talking about my journey from Intel to Meg to now to where I see the FPGA industry going, right? So I've been, I'll be presenting that in March and then I'm looking forward to some other few engagements uh, after that that are still being discussed. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, we'll keep an eye out. Uh, everyone, you know, follow PK on LinkedIn. He puts out some great insights and, and content. And thanks so much for watching. Feel free to comment, like, share, always welcome. Thanks, PK. Thanks, Evan. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.